The talk this morning is on forgiveness, so I thought I would wear something that you could practice on. (laughs) 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 So I want you to say, Hugh, we forgive you for your fancy leather coat. (laughs) Come on now, you got to say that. Hugh, we forgive you for your fancy leather coat and vest. The reading was from the pamphlet, A Song of Prayer, which came after A Course in Miracles. And in the passage that Mary Lou read, it spoke of two different kinds of forgiveness. A forgiveness that heals and a forgiveness that murders. I am more forgiving than thou murders. And oftentimes when we tell people that we forgive them, we are not making them happy. So as in everything, as, for example, the statement that we talked about last time, if you have, if there, I forget what it was, something about, uh, if there's the slightest chance it will make you happy, do it. We pointed out that this, can, this is received by two parts of us. It's received by our heart, which knows what to do with it, because it does it now. And it's received by the ego. And so is, this is also true of forgiveness, and it's true of every spiritual truth. The ego can take any spiritual truth and turn it upside down. For example, John Gooch uh, and John Huntress and uh, I think one or two of the uh, five ECPs, I forget how many were here that day, saying, we shall not be moved. And my John, who just informed us that he has turned three and three quarters, (laughs) he announced this yesterday. Um, John and I were coming home, and we, we live out on Tano Road, and I was in the wrong car. I wasn't in a four-wheel drive when the snow hit. And uh, we got stuck on a hill. And after a while, I noticed that for about the last five minutes, I had been saying to myself over and over, we shall not be moved. <laughs> now, this is not the way to use spiritual truth, you see. Another word for forgiveness is acceptance. It's a little bit of a scary word, acceptance. But the spiritual side of it is indeed beautiful. If we accept the world, we release it. We let it go. If we just look at it and see the way it is, it's gone. It disappears. Yes, we can describe it. We can look it over. We can talk about it if we need to, but it doesn't stumble us. It doesn't hinder us. It doesn't assault us. If we accept our friends' egos, they do not block the sight of Christ that is there before us. Acceptance of the world 
an acceptance of even what we think of as the miseries and the tragedies of the world and how they go on and on and how there's no end to them. And how you know that the evening news, the tone of the evening news is going to be the same ten years from now as it is tonight. This is the nature of the world. We accept it and it begins to disappear. We accept God and God begins to appear. Same mental attitude, two entirely different results. That's why acceptance in its true sense can never hurt you. Acceptance is an opening of the heart to all that is real. And what is unreal will disappear as we do this. It will fade. And we will laugh gently at it. And then we will reach out a real hand and take the real hand of our sister and our brother and help them along. And we will not be afraid to take their hand if we need help. If we accept. There are things in this world that we do accept and what we don't accept is quite arbitrary. See if you have a leather coat on, you've got to put your hands in your pocket. <coughs> you wouldn't know that since most of you are not from Texas, but this is, this is the way it's got to be done. <laughs> we accept a child's drawing. Everyone here would accept the drawing of a two or three year old. No one here would even think of criticizing the drawing of a two or three year old. Everyone here would find it delightful, touching, perhaps even beautiful. And yet, will we accept it if someone has too much eyeshadow or their eyeliner is too thick? Or if, uh, well, I saw a picture of Jesus recently and he had blown dried hair. <laughs> Why would we accept the drawing of a child and yet look at someone's clothes or their makeup or the way they prepare themselves and say, oh, you're a different class than I am. We do this, don't we? Your class is different. Your education, your tastes are different than mine. You are not my sister or my brother. This is the feeling. Just by the way they look, we will do this. Now there's this little fence we've erected. We're on the right side of it, and they're on the wrong side of it. Anyone here who's ever owned a dog knows that the dog can become very frightened of thunder. And the dog will run up to you and, and stay by you when there's a great deal of thunder. We forgive that fear. No one would condemn a dog for doing that. We might even find it touching. And yet, will we forgive our partner's fear of dancing? You've never danced in 24 years. You've never danced with me. <laughs> Why would we accept 
the fear of a dog and not the fear of our spouse? Why would we scream at our child who's in the bumper car and is not ramming the people? Because <laughs> we've seen parents do. Ram him! Don't you see? He's, he's sideways. Ram him! Don't stay over the sidelines. Have you seen dads do that? Well, accept the fear. Many of you have read horseback. You can see by the way I dress, I have ridden many a horse. <laughs> An interesting thing about almost all horses is that they're scared of paper. You know, the little piece of paper blows and they... What is this? We accept that, don't we? Don't get mad at the horse for doing that. And yet, it's fear that's behind all prejudice. Can we forgive someone who's highly prejudiced of someone's race? Here's this person and they're prejudiced of people of a certain color. They're prejudiced of people of a certain religion. Can we forgive that prejudiced person? We can forgive the horse. It's fear. Because behind all prejudice is indeed fear. And those of us who have been in situations in which there is a group of people who seem different than us and they seem to be threatening us in some way, especially if they're threatening our lives, have felt prejudice develop in us very quickly. It grows straight from fear. I used to work on a ranch in Colorado. Of course, you knew that. <laughs> <clears throat> Actually, all I did was clean out beaver dams. But <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I broke horses, but I didn't. Um, it was a great job because the beavers would bring, build them back at night, and then I'd go. You know, and, uh, sort of, this is we're, we're cooperating with nature when we do this. <laughs> But there are grizzlies in this part of Colorado. There may be all over. The Forest Service had uh, actually sent helicopters to count the number of grizzlies on this ranch. And one of the things that anyone knows about bears is that if you run across a cub bear, you get the so-and-so out of there because you're going to get killed by the mother if it comes back. You just don't stay around, especially if it's a little grizzly cub. You just don't do that. Now, knowing that about bears, if you knew that there was a, a grizzly cub at a certain location, and if your child, who you'd told not to go there, went there and was killed by the mother grizzly, you would forgive the grizzly. You would expect nothing more of the grizzly than what it did. This is what it will always do if anything comes near its cub. If lightning struck someone down, you would forgive whatever it is that produces lightning, whatever you think it is that produces lightning. But if the CIA strikes someone down, we will not forgive it. This is all so arbitrary. 
as to what we think is worthy of our forgiveness and what isn't. As long as there's anything that we are unwilling to forgive, we will stay right here and we'll keep repeating this soap opera over and over again. The anchors that keep us attached to this world and the limitations that we assume when we come to this world are made of unforgiveness and judgment. See nothing as either good or bad. Run from nothing and run toward nothing. Look at all things gently. And the interesting thing that happens is that the world will work better for you once you have lost interest in it. Once it no longer matters to you and you're not trying to manipulate it and fret over it and control it and kick it and resist it and slug with it and yell back at it and condemn it and gossip endlessly about it and attack it in your mind over and over and over. Once all of that has ceased, all that bloody, bloody war has ceased, the world will work better for you. It will not work the way your ego wishes it to. Because if you still wish it to work in the way your ego wishes it, you have not accepted it. You have not relinquished it. So to want anything from the world, money or positions or more friends or a new house or anything, is to not accept the world and the nature of the world. This implies nothing about whether or not you get a new car. You get a new car if it's peaceful for you to get a new car. And that's very simple to see if you look in our heart. We step away from a relationship if it's not peaceful for us to be in that relationship at the moment. We don't drink a particular substance if it's not peaceful for us to drink a particular substance. There's no judgment there. It's just simply a fact that this particular thing upsets us. It stirs us up. It anchors us deeper in this mire. And so we accept it. We accept our body and what came with it And we accept our life and all that it entails and we simply relax into our destiny. Because our destiny is a dream destiny. It's the same destiny as you had in your dream last night. There was a little plot and there was a little body and it went through a series of events and it didn't matter, did it? Because you were going to wake up. And what was the point of trying to do anything about it? This doesn't mean that you sit in a chair because sitting in a chair is doing something about it. It's reacting against it. It's running away from it. So of course you stop your car and you get out and you help the people who are stuck or who've had an accident. And of course you take the child over at the mall who's lost and you, you try to find its mommy and its daddy. Because it's peaceful and it's happy for you to do that. What must we forgive? 
Well, we've talked about a number of things that we have to forgive. Possibly the first, because of its symbolism, are our parents. Now, it's a very interesting thing about parents. We can criticize them, but other people can't, you see. And so uh, there you are. You're, you're talking to your primary relationship, whatever that is, and you say, well, mom's only interested in me when I spend money on her. Uh, I bought her the, uh, bought her the uh, membership to the uh, pumping iron spa, spa and... Uh, <laughs> Now, now she wants the stainless steel uh, Olympic weights. I mean, when is it ever going to stop? And your primary relationship says, yeah, that's sure true. What would you say? Are you criticizing my mom? I know she has big biceps, but she's my mom. Or we, maybe we don't say it, but we feel it in our heart. See. Parents in this world symbolize our relationship to God. And that's inescapable. There's nothing we can do about it. Whether you know who your parents were or not, it does not matter. Sometimes the greatest grievances can be against parents who have never been seen. You must forgive your parents. We must come to love them. It doesn't matter if they have been dead for 20 years. We must forgive them. A grievance does not end with someone's death. I know many of you experience that. This is why murdering people doesn't do any good. As you go right on, those of you who are thinking of doing that. <laughs> this church, we get to the real issues. <laughs> See, your mom and dad is, is some precious jewel. Some wonderful, wonderful something that you that you just love and you accept and you laugh gently at, at their old-fashionedness or whatever it is. And you know the way they are at Christmas. And I remember my dad was, how old was my dad? He was about, I don't know, I guess he's about the age I am now. He's about 45. And he was in the car, I was in the car with him with my granddad, who was in his 70s at that time. And my granddad called my dad Buzz, uh, which he's going to be real happy about when the people in Dallas listen to this tape. <laughs> that everybody, this is now out. Uh, his nickname is Buzz. Uh, and he said, Buzz, even race car drivers drive with two hands. I was sitting there, you know. My granddad's saying that's my dad. And my dad was so angry about this or whatever that he what he did is he crossed his hands like this and <laughs> drove like that you see we've all reacted that way I've reacted to my own dad that way I remember once I was pulling out of a parking place and he I, I, I forget how old I was at that time I was in my 30s though and he he corrected me as to how I was doing this and this rage just I wasn't didn't know I was capable of feeling that kind of rage. He probably doesn't even know that happened. I didn't say anything about it at the time. So we accept them as they are, and if you need to tell yourself how they are, just say, well, this is the way they are. It's no different than the, uh, the child's drawing or the dog that's afraid of lightning or anything else. 
It's no different than the conditions in the sky. Or whether the dirt is dry or muddy makes no difference. People cannot be any other way than the way they are this instant. Isn't that obvious? How can someone be other than the way they are this instant? So on what grounds can we object to the way they are? They can't be any other way. Now we know they can undergo a radical change in just a few seconds or minutes or hours in just a few years. They're another person. But they cannot be other than the way they are. And so you look at them and you say, this is the way they are. And I love them. And they tried hard. And any parent tries hard. There is a lot to do. (laughs) And they did it for you. They at least went through the suffering of of the birth. And for most people, there's a a great deal of suffering. There's There's the sickness in the morning or all day long and There's the giving birth and there's the fear. The fear that just seems to come at every turn, every substance, every clothes, every piece of food we put in our mouth. There's some fear attached to it about the pregnancy. Your mom went through that. I don't care if she gave you up the instant you were born. She went through that. And on some level, she agreed with your request that you come and stay here for a while. And she said, I will do that for you. And possibly she left. And possibly she didn't. And it does not matter because you accept it. Maybe the second thing we have to forgive is our body. We have to forgive its frailties and its limitations and its eyes are too close together or whatever it is that's going on. <coughs> so interesting as to what it is that that goes into these judgments that we make against our bodies. Do you remember the movies that were made in the 40s and the 50s? Do you remember the people, what they had to look like in order to be admired? The features they had to have, they they were what might be called thin or delicate or refined facial features. Now look at the people that we admire. The, the, the features are much thicker now and darker. You notice that? So on what basis do we judge? It changes all the time. Even the, the singing voices of the people back then had to have quite a different quality. Look at the major singing stars now. They could not have been recorded just a few years ago. No one would have even, they would have been laughed out of the sound studio. Laughed off the stage. What is a good singing voice if it changes? If in just a few years the whole opinion is quite different. On what basis do you judge your body? So flimsy, isn't it? We have to forgive the past. Forgive our past. The same way we have forgiven part of it. The things that we did when we were very, very young have already been forgiven. We see that we, we couldn't have done any other way. You couldn't have done any other way this past hour. And that is where the ego comes in. You know you couldn't have done any, any other way when you were eight. I don't care what you did when you were eight. You have forgiven yourself for it. 
You couldn't have done anything else than what you did this past hour. But the ego comes in with this insane notion that you shouldn't have done it that way. Yes, it may have been a mistake, and yes, you may see the mistake, and yes, you may correct the mistake now. But you didn't see the mistake, and it was not corrected. And every bit of time that you spend regretting or going over or analyzing or asking why you said what you said or did what you did, one more time you did it, is total ego waste of time. There is no Christ in it. There is no love in it. There's no peace in it. There, none of your heart is in it. None of your compassion is in, is in it. It prevents your kindness and it wipes your happiness away. Spend not one second regretting what you did in the last hour. And for those of you who like assignments, I would like to suggest this for the coming week that you simply try this as a very gentle exercise. Every time you think of it, see if you can't forgive yourself for what you did the past hour. Did you not do enough? Were there things that went undone? Were you scared in a situation in which you don't think you should have been scared? Were you not assertive enough? The big value we have now. This is the time to be assertive. <laughs> These clerks, they get very uh, nervous and uh, they, they get away with murder this time of year. We must forgive our children. We must forgive the children that we didn't have if we didn't have children. We must forgive the children we did have. Because as our parents represent our relationship to God, our children represent our expression. What goes out from us? Our creation. What represents us in the world? Of course it's not true. Our parents are not God and our children are not our expression. But we think that's the way it is. That's the symbol. We believe it quite deeply. This symbol operates within us. It operates as a force within your life. And that's why it does not need to be feared. Just looked at and realize that you cannot be fully loving if you do not think your children are loving because you think your children are an extension of you. You cannot be unselfish if you think your children are selfish because a major part of what you think has gone into the world are your children. So we must forgive our children. We must look at them gently. And if their ego is selfish, so be it. That's their ego. That's not them. Gail and I, uh, last night, were having an important discussion. I, I forget what it was about. The chickens or something. <laughs> I don't know. Who was going to feed the chickens? I'm not sure what it was. but It's very important. And uh, John was in the room, and he was um, playing too loudly. He's playing much too loudly. And it was he was uh I forget what he was doing. He had his race cars and so forth. 
he didn't seem to understand the gravity of the discussion that Gail and I were having. And uh, there were all these Indy 500 noises coming, you know. And there was a special on uh, a uh, Winnie the Pooh special on. And we said, uh, John, why don't you go in and watch the Winnie the Pooh special? This will be a whole lot of fun. Got very quiet. Just sat there. We went on with our important discussion. And then about a minute later, he interrupted us and he said, Mommy, Daddy, you just love having your little boy with you, don't you? <laughs> and he was right. Somehow, at three and three quarters, he had looked past our ego and seen the truth. That was true. And I don't, uh, this discussion evaporated. It just. <laughs> But, of course, I, I mention children a lot here, and it can be distressing to someone who does not want to model themselves after a, a little three-year-old. <laughs> and so, of course, I, children are not perfect uh, teachers at every instant because uh, children, of course, do have egos, and the ego does express itself. And you can see this. Uh, I took John to see uh, the Santa Claus in the Vargas Mall, and... Uh, sat on Santa Claus's lap, and I could see that Santa Claus was asking lots of questions, and John wasn't saying a word, a single word, and finally the Santa Claus gave him candy and got off his lap. So I said, John, uh, what, what did Santa Claus say to you? He, he asked me what I, want, what I wanted for Christmas, and I, and I said, well, what do you want for Christmas? And he said, I don't know. So uh, got in the car, and he was very silent. We started driving back home. And he said, now I know what I want for Christmas. I said, what do you want for Christmas? He said, I want a present. Okay. I want decoration. I said, okay. And I want a sign that says, do not touch the Christmas tree. <laughs> so, so you can see he's, he's being infected by our national spirit already by Christmas. And we must forgive our friends. Let's look at what we don't forgive of our, about our friends. We often will not forgive a friend if our friend owes us money. Isn't this funny? We give them money because they needed it. And now they still need it. And this is awful. I mean, one minute here, oh, you need some money? And then we feel good and we give them the money. And we say, that's so wonderful that you need money here. And then, 30 days later, they still need money, and this is awful. You see how crazy this is? It's not very likely that someone who needs money is suddenly going to have a healing between the time you give it to them and the time they owe it, is it? Is this very likely? No, of course, the very thing that got them in the problem is probably still going to be there. And so we know that when we give our friends money. I say, <laughs> uh, having, <laughs> having worked very hard on this one <laughs> a few weeks ago, uh, but now I can say it with some degree of sincerity. <laughs> we won't forgive a friend who lies to us. 
this is a betrayal, some deep betrayal. Now we must walk away from them. They're no longer our friend. How many lies do we tell in a single day? How many lies do we tell to ourselves? It's so meaningless that our friend has lied to us. Of course we forgive it. We weren't invited to the party. That's that's grounds for never seeing, never not even talking to the person again. Or uh, a secret. They had a secret and they told so and so, but they didn't tell us. So this is once again we're not not going to have anything to do with them. Or another very cruel thing I see that happens during divorces is that here are these people you've been very close to, the in-laws, and now they take sides against you. And the hatred that can flow from that. This is not accepting the world. What are parents supposed to do in this world? Of course they side with their little girl, their little boy. Or of course they side, as I know, there's one couple I know who uh, sided with the with the uh, ex-wife. Wouldn't have anything to do with the son. What do you expect? What do we expect in this world? We accept the world as it is and we look beyond it. And we see the shining face of Christ. And we see the one self that we are. And we praise it and we love it and we relax in it. And we see all this other stuff is just foolishness. Comings and goings. And very slowly we lose interest in it. Very gradually and very gently we lay down our concern. This is why practicing the present is so important because in the present there is no concern for any of this. The world's concern has to be about the past and the future. There's nothing to be concerned about now. There is no place to go. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to learn. Because God is. And this is a dream. And we are waking from it. And our awakening is certain. And the help is near. And constant. And we have nothing to fear. Because where are the effects of the dream last night? And where are your injuries now? And where are your fears? We are promised that when we awake, we will understand how all this happened and we won't care. Both of those things will happen at the same time. You'll understand how this happened and it will be meaningless. And we are promised that this little nightmare will fade and it will be forgotten forever and forever and forever. And there will only be our oneness with each other. And there will only be love. And there will only be happiness. And we are also told that there is no way that we can possibly understand that at this time. And that all the pictures that come to our mind about what pure joy and infinite freedom is are completely misleading. But the peace that we bring to our life today is not. The little increment 
of happiness that we add to our life today is not deceiving. And that's where we begin. And every forgiveness adds another increment of relaxation, of calmness, of peace, of joining. I was called to a family's house several nights ago and the teenage boy had a knife in a ski pole and he was holding off the family. And we all sat down and we talked about it. And there was a great deal of love in that family for each other. It was already there. And I wouldn't have been called if they didn't want to find a way to let the love come in and let the anger go out. And so you just sit there and it happens because that's why they've called you. And you just give form to their decision. And that's what a healer is. Any healer. And every one of you are healers. And after a little bit, it was all taken care of. And there were new ground rules set. And everyone was hugging. And when I went home, you know what God said to me? Do you see how much better this is to be a peacemaker than to gossip and attack? And I couldn't understand why I ever attack. Why do I ever gossip? I couldn't understand when this is a possibility, when this is a potential. Because the thing I was told before I went over there is all situations are the same. And so this potential lies within each and every one of us in every situation we find ourselves. To be a peacemaker. To give peace and to make happy. That is our identity. So how do we forgive? We've talked about this many times. And I want to give you another very simple-minded idea. I was talking to uh, Jerry last night. And we were talking about that the that the ideas become so simple that you're almost embarrassed to even say them out loud. Uh, how is anybody going to accept this? It's just too simple. And one of the ideas that we talked about just recently is was just that sort of simple-minded idea, which was you, you turn it over to God. This just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Don't you remember that just a few years ago you would have gotten up if someone had said that? You wouldn't <laughs> listen to such mental nonsense. Such intellectuals, soft, soft core, I don't know what. Turn it over to Jesus. Isn't that crazy? But I actually found myself talking about that on two occasions recently with you. I'd rediscovered it. How it just solves everything. Of course, AA has known this forever. It just solves it all. How can it solve it? It makes no sense. It, what sense does it make? Just say, well, I'll just turn it over to God. Just turn it over to my teacher. I'll just turn it over to my best friend. I'll just turn whatever you want to say. I'll turn it over to my higher self. 
That doesn't make any sense. Here's another one that doesn't make any sense. I mentioned it before. It is so simple, it works like a miracle. You surround the person in light. Every time they come to your thought, you surround them in light. That's it. It is amazing how that works. You make the, me- the mental decision that every time what this person, remember, we're going to, this next week, those of you, because I know this is, you're all so conscientious, you know, be practicing this, releasing what happens each hour. So there'll be things that people did to you in the past hour. Little things that just irritated a little bit. Little grains of sand that are now under your skin and they're, they're festering a little bit. And your ego says, oh, that's so little, don't pay attention to that. But you pay attention to it because you're going to clean out the last hour. It's not going to burden you. It will not be a weight any longer. You're not going to accept even the weight of one single grain of sand. And so if there was anything in the last hour that disturbed you or upset you or seemed unfair or selfish, anything that you reacted to that you could not accept is, oh, that's just the world. But what would I expect? Then you take the person or the automobile. I just changed the second flat tire about three days. You take it and you surround it in light. This is especially helpful with people. Now, here's what happens. Unforgiveness is a line of thought that our ego knows we will buy. No matter matter how many times it gives us to us, we will pay more money for it each time. We will pay it in our happiness and in our peace and in our relaxation and in our comfort. And we will pay big bucks in comfort and happiness every time it presents this line of thought to us. And so it keeps presenting it to us over and over and we keep doling out our comfort and our peace and so forth because all it has to do is remind us of what so-and-so did. And there it goes, you see. Big bucks, we'll pay for that. Now, you make the decision to surround that person in light and your ego will not present the line of thought to you except maybe one or two or three, maybe four more times, maybe five. If it sees that you're going to surround the person in light, it hates light so much (laughs) that it's not going to mess with you on that one. It's really not. So you don't analyze it and you don't try to figure out why they did that and you don't try to say it was really nice and they actually had a good motive and somehow there's a wonderful consequence of all this. You just surround them in light and your ego says, aha, this is going to be the reaction. And so it won't hand it to you because darkness and light cannot exist together. And you bring light into your mind and your ego will stay clear of it because there is no ego. It's just a belief, a fantasy. I had several other things about how to practice forgiveness, but I think I'm going to uh, not go into those and just end with what might be the bottom line. I'm going to ask you to uh, close your eyes and, and do a little meditation with me. A little imagery. And if you'd like to get comfortable and 
do whatever you need to do to get comfortable. If you want to take what's in your lap out, you can do that. Now, I'm going to suggest a little scene to you, and I know that there are many of you who say, never again, I'm never. So I saw a bumper sticker recently that said, love stinks. <laughs> All right, so I know this is, uh, none, of you, none, of you, none of you are ever going to get into this situation again, but this is a pretend. So this is pretend. So I want you, with your eyes closed, I want you to pretend that you've just met this wonderful, 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 wonderful person. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> and they think you're wonderful. And you all agree that everyone else is not wonderful. All right, so here you are. Come together. And you're going to get married. Now, I know many people wouldn't dare get married, but you're going to get married. Now, just this is the scene. Now you've met this person. You're going to get married, and you're having this little talk. This is honesty time. You're going to share some things with each other. Are you having a little talk? And what you're going to share with this person, because they've asked you to, is you're going to tell them what your good qualities are. What are your strengths? All right, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say this to yourself as if you were saying it out loud to this person. You're going to very honestly describe your particular strengths and assets, the things that you think you do particularly well, where you've got it together. So I'm going to be quiet for just a few minutes. I know for some of you it will be too long, but I'm going to be I'm going to be quiet and just just list several things. Be as honest as you can. We'll stop here so everybody can remain humble and. Uh, <laughs> Now, now close your eyes again. Now you're back there. Now it's fault time. Now you've got to tell this person. So you're getting ready to get married. You're going to be very honest. And now you're going to tell this person what your faults are. What you don't do particularly well. Where you're prone to make mistakes. And what your bad qualities are. Okay. Now if you did exactly what I told you to do. then nothing that you thought of has anything to do with you. Nothing whatsoever, whether you think of it as an asset or you think of it as a fault. We have a choice, and that choice will be presented to us over and over until we make it. We can either have individuality or we can have an identity. And we cannot have both. And the key to forgiveness is to forgive our identity and to accept, excuse me, to forgive our individuality and to accept our identity. And so we lose interest in having either assets or liabilities. We lose interest in either strengths or faults. Because this is what keeps us dreaming and this is what keeps narrowing our mind and thinking that we are this body this little body that has these particular things 
that are not true of other people. And this is what keeps us at war with everyone else because if you have these particular strengths and you have these particular liabilities, then your interests are not the same as anyone else's. You must be at conflict and at war with everyone else. If you are an individual, you are at conflict with every single thing around you. And you have no identity. You have no reality. You have no you have nothing that will last. You have nothing that even you think will last. And so we lose interest in our separateness. All the things that we think of as separate. Now I know that during that meditation some of you thought of broader things than just what you have as an individual. What you think is your particular strength over others. And if you thought of gentle, broad qualities such as peace and gentleness itself, then indeed, that is what you are. But if it's, if it's just some strength, if it's just some advantage, if it's just where you stand out where others fall, then it is nothing. Do not enhance it and do not defend it. Now, there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of in what I've just said. Please don't be afraid of this. There is nothing wrong with seeing that an individuality is something that just comes together for a very brief period of time, that it changes constantly. Don't you see how your individuality has changed just in the last few years? Don't you see the qualities that you had just a few years ago are not quite the qualities you have now? Don't you see the kind of person you were as a little boy or a little girl running around on the playground? Remember that. Don't you see that's not you? Why would you want to hold on to that? And yet the entire game plan on this earth is to somehow keep it the same. We've got to keep it the same. We've got to keep our opinions the same. We actually know our opinions. And we can bring them out on any occasion. And we hone them and defend them and we read magazines and books and add facts to them and bolster them. And we actually say to ourselves, I'm the kind of person who can't. I can't find myself. I can't follow directions. Or I'm the kind of person who does this or I'm the kind of person who does that. There is no fear in letting loose of that. Everything that we think of as our, as our individuality is a limitation. It's a, it's a small, prescribed, little something that we can gladly let loose of. And then we can be a peacemaker. And then we can be kind, and then we can be happy. And then we are the Christ. The same thing that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, that little boy, is happening to you. It's the same story. And you don't believe it. But it's true. You are the coming of the Christ. And it has nothing to do with this little identity. Excuse me. I keep getting those words mixed up. Individuality. 
has nothing to do with this little individuality. Nothing to do with it. Don't be afraid to be the Christ. Don't be afraid to be pure peace. Don't be afraid to be boundlessly happy, especially on this occasion. The birth of the Christ. You are the birth of the Christ. Don't be afraid to be that. Don't be afraid to not be irritated in the typical situation in which you usually become irritated. Don't be afraid to no longer be rushed. Don't be afraid to no longer be afraid of what you're buying other people. Is it the right thing? Lay that burden down. Your identity includes me and everyone here, includes your parents, includes your children, includes your friends, and includes everyone who's come to this earth. It includes everyone who will come to this earth. It includes God and love and joy and song. But we only have to accept a little bit of it right now. Don't be afraid to be the Christ on this Christmas season. Don't be afraid to be pure peace on this occasion of the birth of peace. You'll feel a lightness as this happens. Here you are in this typical situation and once again you're angry. Once again you're scared. Here it is as you go shopping. Here it is as you sit under the Christmas tree. Here it is as you look at the cost of all of this. The money mounting up. As you overuse your MasterCard and so forth. You'll catch yourself. Same tired old individuality. Separateness. Autonomy. This little something. The same old something. You say, no, I'm not going to be absent-minded anymore. I'm not going to be scared about money. This doesn't mean you spend more of it. It means you're not going to be afraid of it. And so, of course, you, you spend the amount of money that allows you not to be afraid of it. And you don't worry about whether or not you should take toys to the safe house for the kids over there. You're out one day and it occurs to you and so you take toys to the safe house. Or you take something over to the place in the DeVargas Mall. It's just because it happens to occur to you and you don't think, oh, I never do that. I never do that. I never take my clothes over to the co-op for people who need clothes. I never do that. This time you say, I am not that which never does that. I am the Christ. I am the giver. Let me expand the circle of comfort. That's what Jesus did. He brought a circle of comfort. You are here to expand it. Include these people who aren't in it yet. And so you say, I can do that if I wish. Do I wish to do it? And if it makes you happy, you do it. Or you're the kind of person who always has to take toys here and toys there and give money here and money there and suddenly you realize that this isn't making you peaceful. This is keeping you away from people who would like to be with you. 
This is using up resources that this year you don't have. And so you don't struggle to maintain that individuality, that autonomy, that separateness, that little something with certain assets and strengths. Because you are the Christ, the coming of the Christ, which means simply that you are a happy, happy, happy person. And this is the season to be happy. Could we end by closing our eyes and very gently let come into our mind one simple fact, one comforting, comforting fact that you and I are together This is a family, and the ending of the world is simply a family reunion. That's all it is. And that everything that you didn't like about anyone was never a part of them to begin with. And like old clothes, every one of your objections will be shed from them and left behind, and you will see your brother and your sister shining in your glory at one with you at home with your eyes closed on this Christmas season. Open your heart a little bit to the blessing of your oneness with all life. With your union with God. With your sameness with love with your identity with peace and see how easy it is to be happy.